some information about them, their school information, and then depending on how the government sees it, they could give you like Cal Grants, Pell Grants, like any other financial aid, so you could go to college and not have to pay as much. And our counselor kept saying like, oh, even if you don't think you'll qualify for anything, go ahead and apply. Like a lot of students get uh, free money through that to help them out. And the procrastinator that I am, I didn't do it right away. I waited like a few months or so. So since I waited, um, I got to hear what my classmates had gotten back. Like once you s finish submitting it, you get uh, a form called an EFC. And that's Estimated Family Contribution. And they say that that doesn't directly reflect what, um, how much your family has to pay, but it kind of gives an estimate of like where the government sees like, okay, you're, based on your income taxes, like your family may be able to contribute this much. So you could kind of get an idea of how much financial aid you might get. And I was hearing like 500, 1,000 being the highest that I heard. And some students even got a zero. And I was just like, oh snap, what does that mean? They're like, oh, that means we'll, we'll get both the Cal Grant and the Pell Grant. Oh, that's pretty cool. And um, so I was wondering like what I would get. And granted, uh, the Cal Grant and the Pell Grant would always advertise themselves like saying like, oh, financial aid for students who meet both academically and financial needs. And I was just like, okay, I'm pretty good academically. I've had more than a 4.0 my whole high school time that I've been here. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm sure I'm gonna get something. And sure enough, uh, I did, I submitted the financial aid form and got my parents' information and my EFC somehow was over 15,000. And so that, that was a shocker for me and I was just like, okay, well, so what does this mean? And I went to my counselor and I spoke with her and she said like, oh, they're saying based on what you put, that your family's expected to contribute 15,000 per semester. And I'm like, oh, well, that's more than what the cost is to go to school. And I was like really bummed out because I was thinking like if that's the case then I'm not really gonna get anything. And sure enough, I didn't get um, the Cal Grant A, B, or the Pell Grant. And I was just like, shoot, like I have dreams too of going to school, um, going to universities, getting my degree. Like I worked so hard throughout high school and like had like such a dedicated mindset of schooling. Like where's my reward for my hard work? And seeing like my other classmates who some some were good students, I won't lie, they were really good students, but majority of them were, weren't, like they didn't really have high aspirations or didn't care about schooling, and they were getting like full, almost a full ride to school. And I grew in, like I, I was coveting them. I, was, I grew in jealousy. I started like seeing everything like self-centered and I wasn't happy for them. I was just kind of a pity party on myself. And I'm like, where's my reward? Like I've worked hard, shouldn't I get something too? And it, it was like a snowball effect where that caused me to be separate from those classmates and was just like, okay, I guess I'll try to figure this out um, by myself. So as you could see, like, as you can hear, um, you could assume that we're gonna be talking about coveting today. And if you've been following along, last week, Pastor Chris delivered a message on the ninth commandment. And today we'll be closing the sermon series by talking about the 10th commandment. So if you will, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. And I'm reading through the ESV version, just in case uh, if you're following along, it's a bit different. So it says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or female servant or his ox 
or his donkey or anything in um, anything that is your neighbor's. So, so from here, we could see like in today's times, we don't really would covet a donkey or someone's ox. Like we would probably say for a car or their house. But during this time, this is what was valuable to the people. And this is what the people of Israel had because we must remember that they just left the hands of Pharaoh. Uh, God uh, delivered them through the work of Moses and his brother Aaron and spoke through them and delivered many miracles so that Pharaoh could end up releasing his, um, God's people. And here they're pursuing the promised land. And God has given them these instructions. And these instructions are for them to stay a holy, to be a holy people for God. And we would see for coveting, like what would we think for coveting? And some of us may think like, oh, maybe wishing you had something that was someone else's. And that is partly true, but a better definition would be um, from one of my Bible dictionaries. It's defined as excessive desire of what belongs to another. And there's also another definition that says, to want to the point of seeking to take away and own something that belongs to another person. So coveting isn't just desiring something, but it's also having the intention to take it from someone. So you start like plotting how to get it or how to obtain it, whether it's through stealing or getting it yourself through your own different methods. But coveting, um, the dangerous thing about coveting is that it's a snowballing effect. It's not just a thought, but it's a thought that could lead to an action. And what's interesting with it, if you realize the Ten Commandments, coveting is the only commandment that deals with thought. The rest are actions. And the reason for that is because coveting leads to, can lead to a multitude of sins. And to start off, the sins, the first sin would be murder. So if we go back to Genesis chapter 37, very briefly, this is um, a chapter about Joseph. And Joseph, he's a descendant of Abraham. And with Joseph, God um, blessed him with a really unique gift of dreams and being able to interpret dreams. And Joseph was the youngest son um, of his father, Jacob. And right here on verse 3, it says, uh, Jacob was also named Israel too. He had um, two names. And it says in verse 3, Not Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now, one thing with coveting, uh, it doesn't have to necessarily start with the thought of coveting, but it could start, say, with jealousy or hatred. And then that could snowball into coveting and could snowball to a deeper sin. And in this case, through the jealousy and the hatred of the brothers, they didn't like their youngest brother. And if you go down to verse 8 on the latter part, it says, So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And later on verse 18, it says, They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. So through their uh, coveting of him, of like, how his father would bless, would give him all the love, more love than all the rest of their siblings, and would like treat him special, that grew into a desire to kill. 
And these brothers, uh, they were willing to kill, but one of the brothers intervened and said, like, let us, like, don't kill him, uh, but let's just sell him into slavery. And eventually uh, they did that. And then he went into Egypt and continued his life there. And God, like, dramatically transformed his life from there. But it was through coveting uh, from the attention that their father would give to him. And so, like, the gifts they would give, he would give to his son that caused them to want to kill their brother. And for uh, coveting can also lead to adultery. And here's a story, uh, when we think of adultery in the Bible, most cases, and it's not wrong to think of this story because uh, it is true about coveting, I mean, um, adultery, but most people would turn to King David and Bathsheba. But a story I would like to, for us to turn to is one that not too many people are familiar with and it's in 2 Samuel chapter 13. And this deals with King David's children. And uh, one of his sons named Amnon, he really uh, lusted after his sister named Tamar. And in verse one, starting in verse one, it says, uh, now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son loved her, and Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. So Amnon, he started uh, lusting after her, and he started, through that lust, he was coveting of um, being with her. And even though he, she was his sister, you know, uh, even back then and today, we know that that's like, like you don't do that, like that's like nasty uh, to commit incest. And, uh, but his desires for her grew like way out of hand where he wanted, he was willing to do anything to get to her. And he had a friend who conspired a plan of how to do that. And once that plan um, unveiled and Tamar was in that situation, when we go down to verse 14, it says, um, this is when, um, uh, Amnon was trying to um, rape his sister and Tamar was saying like no she gave an explanation like no like this isn't okay like there you shouldn't do this but it says in verse 14 but he would not listen to her and being stronger than her he violated her and lay with her then Amnon hated her with very great hatred so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her and this is pretty interesting because the moment he had finished and committed the, the sin, he, his lust for it vanished and became into hatred. Like it was it completely flipped over. And so the, this reminds us like the interesting with sin is that it always over promises and under delivers. So when we get tempted and we start like desiring certain things or start coveting something that someone else may have, it may seem like, oh, that's the better life. Like that's gonna make me happy. But as we know it through our lifetimes, that every time we may commit a sin, we feel that pain, we feel the regret, the guilt from it, and we understand that it's not as sweet as the temptation was. And continuing forth for the third sin that covenant could lead into, it's stealing. And that is found in Joshua chapter 7. So if you may turn with me to Joshua chapter 7, 
And while you, while you turn over there, I'll give you a quick summary of what's going on. So right here, uh, Joshua is in command of the people of Israel. And right here, they just finished um, taking, care, um, taking down Jericho. Uh, like they already destroyed the wall through God's help and they pillaged the city. But as they pillaged the city, um, Joseph uh, told them a commandment that God had given them. And we see that in chapter six, verse 18. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. Lest when you devote themselves, I mean, when you devote them, you take any of the devoted things and make the cap of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. So this was their instruction before they destroyed the city of Jericho. And after they destroyed it, they went to, uh, to a city called Ai, or it's spelled A-I, um, but they were defeated over there. And Joshua um, was confused of why that would happen. And God uh, told them that there's people, there's someone in Israel that didn't obey that took the vessels, took the bronze, um, silver, and gold, and it's hiding it from you. So that's why God didn't allow the people of Israel to be victorious over the city of um, Ai. He, they, they were defeated. And so uh, Joshua ended up discovering who it was, and it was a man named, um, named Achan. And when he got to Achan, um, in verse 20, Achan um, was, was hiding the sin from them. And he revealed to it in verse 20, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak of Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So ultimately, through him, through Achan coveting these items, he caused the people of Israel to be defeated during that battle. And during that battle, 36 Israelites died. So his covet, him coveting these items and taking them caused the death of 36 others and caused God to bring judgment on Israel. And this ultimately led the people of Israel to stone Achan to, uh, to death. So this not only to gratify his lust and coveting, for these items, but brought his death upon himself. And going down to the fourth, uh, one of the sin, the fourth sins that coveting could bring into, would be back in Genesis. If we go back to chapter twenty-seven, uh, this is the story about Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau were descendants of Abraham, and they were brothers. Um, but they were twin brothers. Esau was born first, and then out came Jacob. Uh, but Esau, he was um, big in stature, and he was kind of like you say, like more masculine than Jacob. But he, Esau was the hunter, and um, um, Jacob was more of the gatherer of like the crops. And here, their father is um, in the late years of his life. He's getting ready to pass away. And before he passes away, he, he must bless the firstborn, which would be Esau. And, but the mother, uh, he overhears that the, um, that the father wants to bless Esau. So uh, as Esau goes and prepares a meal for the father by hunting out game and like making his father's favorite dish, 
uh, the mother grabs Jacob and makes a plan with him to pretend to be his brother to take the blessing from the father so that the brother wouldn't get the blessing. And the reason why she did this is that she didn't like the, the older brother. And so sure enough, uh, Jacob uh, lied to his father. He, they, they were coveting the blessing um, to take away and to benefit themselves more. And once, uh, excuse me, sorry. Once um, Jacob, uh, through a disguise of pretending to be his brother, uh, convinces his father that he's Esau and his father ends up blessing him. And Jacob takes the blessing away from his brother and once Jacob gets that, he flees from the house and then Esau, his older brother, comes and says like, oh, father, I prepared your meal for you. Come bless your son. And then he's like, I've already blessed my son. Who are you? And so that leads to like a long dispute of where Jacob is fleeing from his brother Esau because he's afraid that through the hatred um, of Esau for Jacob of stealing what was his, that Esau wanted to kill his brother. So this leads to like years of them being distant from each other. But towards the end, we discover that Esau and Jacob like forgive each other and they, they unite their relationship with each other. So from these statements, you could see that uh, coveting does not only affect you, but it could affect other people as well. And such as with murder, um, you know, you, you covet something and you're willing to take it from someone else, so you end up, or you have someone, end up killing someone else. So through your selfish desires for that thing, someone else paid the price and could be killed. And then for adultery with Amnon and Tamar, Tamar was affected through the uh, sins of uh, Amnon. And then uh, for stealing and for lying, sorry, <laughs> For saying and lying, other people can be affected. And also, um, through this, uh, it, it could destroy relationships. And I'm not sure if any of you have experienced coveting in your, in your personal lives or known someone that coveted something that someone else may have had, such as, um, it, it's a sad reality, but there, there are people out there, um, couples who like want to have a child, but they can't. But they see like someone else who may appear to not love their kids as much, but they continue to have more and more kids. And that could cause the, the couple who can't have kids to th grow in, in covetedness. Like they grow and they start coveting them, like saying like, why God, like why do you bless them with children? You know, I would love to have a child. How come I can't have a kid? And that could cause, if it's family, that could cause them to be separate or to just not talk to each other, could sever that relationship. And even though from like another per, uh, point of view, like people might be like, oh, why aren't they talking? It could, that could be the reason why their, their covetedness of not being able to have a child because the other people are having children could be so strong, it ruins that relationship. And then continuing forth, uh, for the third point, coveting robs us from joy. Um, so going back to my story about the financial aid, it robbed me from the joy of celebration and celebrating with others. Because some of my classmates, they, their parents were like really into poverty. Uh, they uh, could like barely afford to be going to school and to be working to support themselves in the house. Some of them weren't even legal here. And yet through the Dream Act, they were able to get like a full ride to school. 
and through my selfish eyes and wondering like, oh God, why aren't you blessing me for my hard work? Um, even though I had every, my parents provided for everything, I never went without. Like I was uh, more than beyond blessed, thankfully. Um, I lost the opportunity to celebrate with them, to experience that joy of like, oh my gosh, like who knew you could get this financial aid? Like you don't have to worry about paying for schooling or like, oh, with that money, you could go to a community college and with the rest that's left over, you could get yourself a car. Like, like there, there was like many opportunities I could have celebrated with them, but I missed out on that because I was just thinking about myself. And other cases would be uh, coworkers too. Um, I've had some coworkers back when I was uh, working for Geek Squad that would get promoted or would get transferred somewhere else. And like they were gonna be the general manager of that Best Buy. Uh, one was gonna go to Texas and be the general manager from there. Another one had gone to Washington to be the general manager over there. And instead of being like, oh, like congratulations, I'm like, oh, let's go eat before you go head out. Like I, was, I grew in like jealousy of them. Like, oh, like how come they're moving up and I'm not? Um, I, I don't work there anymore. Um, I work at Lowe's. Uh, so it, it's, um, God's provided more for me through working at Lowe's. So like. My coveting of someone else's success from prior, from previous work, because I was struggling to provide for my family, like is non-existent, because God's blessed me through lows to provide for my family. But all of us could think of a moment of where we grew in jealousy and may have coveted towards someone else's blessings. And the sad reality is that when we do that, we what well, we are reflecting to God and saying, God, despite everything you blessed me with. It's not enough. Like I'm not grateful for that. Um, and like even though we may not think about that in the moment when we're coveting something, that's what it reflects. Like if you're really like looking forward to like say you're having trouble in your marriage and you have a friend that's married and like it seems like they have a perfect marriage, like you can start coveting them and like uh, fantasizing how it would be if that person was your spouse. And and that you're like God, like. I'm not happy with who you blessed me with. Like, I'm not happy with my partner. Like, I don't want anything to do with that partner. And that's what, like, coveting uh, reflects. And similar to um, what Jesus said where, uh, I have it right here, in Matthew 6, verse 24, uh, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Um, so this doesn't really um, only pertain to money when it comes to coveting, but coveting is, um, can be reflected from this passage. When we covet something, we give like our heart, mind, and soul to that item, and we go um, day in and day out thinking about that, wondering how it would be to have that. And um, that's contrary, I mean, that's what Jesus is saying here, where you can't be coveting something and be like, worshiping in church and like saying like you're, you're a Christian and you're like highly devoted to God when secretly you're coveting something else. Because when we covet something, we put that on a higher pedestal than we are putting God and we make that our idol. And as idols are in the Old Testament and in the Ten Commandments, we were not supposed to have any idols. And when we covet something, it, it's it's a direct opposite of what God commanded his people to do in Deuteronomy um, chapter 6, verse 4, where you shall love the Lord your God 
with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That is for God. Our heart, mind, and soul is for God and not other objects or other people or what other people might have. So when we covet, we're growing more in distance away from God. So if we, if we are struggling with coveting, or maybe you know someone who's struggling with coveting, um, don't lose hope. Don't, don't be fearful that this is something that has snowballed into something too great of a sin where there's no saving. There's no way you could get out of it. Uh, for there, there is hope in Christ. So when we go to chapter 3 of John, uh, we read that in verse 16 through 17. Uh, most people read 16, but I like to go to 17 because it adds on to it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in, in order, oh, my apologies, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus could forgive your sins. If you're really struggling with coveting and to the point where it's ruining your life, ruining your marriage, ru ruining the relationships you have around yourselves, and especially the relationship with God, Jesus could help you. Jesus could forgive you of that sin. You could come join us on, um, on the nights that we have uh, Bible studies together. Even though it's um, through the screens, it, it's still beneficial. For when we share our sins with other people, when we share our sins in a group, there's more of a, um, uh, we, we could be healed through that easier. Not all of our sins could be dealt with alone. Like uh, one of my former pastors said, Christianity isn't a me religion, it's a we religion. Like we, Christianity is a, a community. Uh, it's not, you could, you can't be, live the Christian life in your backyard on a on lawn chair with the Bible and say like, oh, it's just me and Jesus. Like, yes, you do have, Ephesians chapter 2 teaches us that we do have full access to the Father, but that doesn't mean we're, it's just solely you and God. It's us as a family, the body of Christ, with, with Jesus. And a beautiful image, uh, whenever you're going through self-doubt of your sins, or you're struggling, or you're going through certain pain, uh, you're like, God, when is all this going to end? It is in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. So, uh, if you can, turn with me over to Revelation 21. In the beginning of this, th this is, um, this is uh, one of the visions that uh, John, the Apostle, I mean, yes, the Apostle John was receiving when he was uh, exiled onto an island, and Jesus was revealing this to him. Uh, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself would be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is a beautiful image. We could all remind ourselves when we're going through addictions, when we're coveting, when we're um, 
after we've, we've sinned and we want to repent and we feel hopeless, this image shows that there will come a time where all the evil effects of sin will be no more. Creation will be restored. Humanity will be restored. And just as the Bible started with God himself in the garden with Adam and Eve, so will this time end with God himself in the new earth with his people. So we will be physically in the presence of God. So with that being said, thank you for t joining with us at Paris Valley Community Church Online. My name is Omar. Uh, thank you, Pastor Chris, for this opportunity, and God bless. Thank you, Pastor Chris. If, uh, if you're in the chat room,